theology behind the songs that they play. I always appreciate that. Thank you guys so much. My name is Jordan. If you don't know me, I am the minister to students and families here at Wellspring, and uh, I am uh, preaching. For yeah, I filled in for Scott today, who was uh, out on a uh, a conference with Phil that he did not invite me to. So we had I had enough stuff to keep me busy here this week, so I do not mind that. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer this morning, and we are going to get started. So please pray with me, Father God. Uh, thank you so much for my church that I love so much. God, I'm just so appreciative of the work that you are doing in, in the lives of your people here at Wellspring, in the lives of, uh, of, our, of our babies and our children, uh, of our teenagers, our parents, uh, even all the folks here at our church. God, the way that you are moving uh, in and through them to bring about uh, your kingdom is just incredible. God, I pray this morning that uh, you, would, you would draw us closer to, uh, the, uh, to the idea of what you have uh, for our church and uh, for us individually, God, I pray that this morning you would help us to uh, understand this concept of vulnerability, uh, not with a resistance, but God, just help us to be open uh, to whatever it is you're leading us into. And God, this morning I, I pray uh, for myself, I pray that you would speak through me, uh, and God, that you have a lot to say to us. I don't have a lot to say uh, myself, God, but you have a lot that you, that you want to say to all of us. And so I pray this morning that you would open up my heart uh, to your leading as well. And so in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so my question for you this morning is, do you care about how you look? Do you care about how you look? If you care about how you look, raise your hand. If you care about how you look, raise your hand. Like, well, like, no, no, pretty much everybody. I think all of us would probably say, on some level, we care about how we look. If I were to, uh, to say, hey, guess what? There's a booger hanging out of your nose. Preston, Preston would probably be like, oh, that's really embarrassing. Why would you say that from the stage? And also, I'll take care of that. There's not one. But we, we do care about how we look. We all care about how uh, we look. I've always cared about how I look personally, even since I was a kid. In fact, we have, a, we have a, uh, some parents in our church uh, who have a toddler, and this cracks me up so much. They have a toddler. They're in our home group, and their toddler, uh, he will throw a fit if they're leaving the house. He likes to dress himself, and he will throw a fit if they're leaving the house, and he doesn't look, to quote him, amazing. He'll say, I don't look amazing, and he'll throw it about it. I just think that is incredible. I think that's amazing. Uh, we uh, we care about how we look, and, and much like him, I've always cared about how I look as well. Um, I think most of us probably do, but there is one group of us who cares about how they look more than anybody else. There's one age group that cares about how they look more than anyone else. It's the one that I'm responsible for. It's teenagers. Teenagers care about how they look more than most things in their life. Uh, how they look is very, very uh very, very important to them. Does anybody want to see what I look like as a teenager? Anybody want to see what I look like as a teenager? Well, too bad. I'm not going to show you because I don't want to lose uh, all my credibility on the stage this morning because I care about how I look to you as I'm preaching this sermon. So I'm not going to show you a picture of me in high school because that would just be a disaster for everyone involved. Um, but I'll, I'll describe it a little bit to you if you'd like me to. Um, in high school, if Dave Darnell was in the service, he could tell you. Uh, he could attest to all of this. But in high school, I had long hair. All right, I don't mean like long, like '70s hair. That's what I'm talking about. I had like long, like bangs, like covered half my face. Like part of my hair was like dyed. And I was like that emo kid at the mall with the tight jeans and like the, all the black T-shirts. And I was like that weird kid that you're just like, dude, you look like an idiot. Like, cut your hair. What are you doing? Uh, th- you're, this is embarrassing for everyone. That's exactly what I looked like. And, uh, and it was just—it was just the worst. And I apologize for anyone. Uh, uh, I apologize to anyone who's involved with me at that point in my life. But hey, I'll say that. I'll say this for a second. Uh, that was the me that my wife fell in love with. So uh, we'll just chalk it up to uh, God's sovereignty more than anything else, because 
that's the only thing that that's, that's, that's the only thing that, uh, that good that came out of that look. Um, and as a young teen, I was very into like uh, the punk rock scene. I, I had like I like to spike my hair in like red spikes. I had like studded and spiked like jackets, and, like, torn clothes, and, and shirts with like bands on them, like the casual tees. And I like and I love I, lo- I was that kid, okay. And I like to break things and just be rebellious. And, uh, and, and my wife, who I should tell you, when she used to see me at that age, she was terrified of me. She actually has a story where I was coming down the hallway at school, uh, it's at Carl Junction, I was coming down the hallway at school, and she like dove into the, into the lunchroom just to not have to walk down the same hallway as me. And she was terrified of me, which is hilarious, because if you know me at all, you know that more than anything else, more than any other trait, uh, I am ridiculous. I am just like the opposite of terrifying. Um, but, but, uh, but, but she thought that, that I was terrifying, which I just find really, really funny. But all I can say is that I cared a ton about my image. I cared a lot about my image. I had a way that I wanted to be perceived. And I put a lot of money, work, and effort into projecting that perception for other people. I, I really did care about how I looked. Uh, as much as I would have uh, wanted you to think that I did not care about how I looked, I definitely, definitely did Last week, Scott preached a really excellent sermon that I enjoyed a lot about the shifts in our culture as the church is pushed further to kind of the fringes of society. Uh, and, and how that reality doesn't, it doesn't change our mission, how it doesn't change our Savior, how it doesn't change who we are. However, there's, there's one thing that I hope that does change. There's one thing that I really do hope that thing that, that, that actually does change as a result of those changes in our culture. And the thing that I hope changes, I hope it changes the masks that we wear. I hope it changes the masks that we wear. You might ask, what does, what does that mean? I, I hope that it should, the ones that we put on for people, both within these walls and outside these walls, the images that we project, the things that we put out there, the ways that we try and hide what's really going on underneath, the masks that we wear, I hope that as our culture pushes Christianity further and further to the fringes of society, I hope that can change the masks that we wear. I hope that as, as judgment from the outside becomes stronger, the love and grace that's inside becomes twice as strong. I hope that as the world pushes back, we're able to become more vulnerable rather than more fearful. I believe that in order for this to be a reality, we have to know who we are. In order for this to be true, in order for this to happen, in order for us to be who we are, we've got to know who we are. I talk about this a lot with, uh, with my students, uh, with your kids, because, of course, your teenage years are all about your identity, right? They're all about figuring out who you are, discovering who you are. Uh, one day uh, their, their, uh, their hair is covering their face, and the next day they shave their head, right? One day uh, they, they love playing basketball. It's their life, right? Ball is life. But the next day they, they just could not care less about basketball. They don't want to play something else, or they don't want to play anything at all. Um, one day they listen to one type of music, the next day they listen to another. One day they're interested in this person, the next day they are just could not care less. Uh, they're, they're changing. I always tell parents that, uh, that your kids are a new person every six months, and that generally seems to hold true in my experience. They seem to change uh, really, really rapidly. And uh, the reason it's funny is because we can look back on ourselves as teenagers, right? And in hindsight, we can clearly see our own past insecurities. We can clearly see our own confusions and fears and the ways that those manifested themselves in the clothes that we wore or the way our hair looked or the things that we value, right? That's what makes that funny to us. It's the fact that we can look back in hindsight and see how we were different back then. We cared a lot about what people thought of us because we didn't like what we thought about ourselves. Don't miss that. We cared a lot about what people thought of us because we didn't like what we thought about ourselves. We've all faced the temptation to project false images of ourselves because we find the real image inadequate. 
It's easy to see this in high schoolers because many adults consider themselves above the squabbles of teenagers. It was a phase that we grew out of, right? Right? It's a phase that we all grew out of. Or was it? Because I still relate to that in, in a lot of ways, personally. And a lot of times we, we can be just as insecure as, as teenagers are. A lot of times we can worry about our image and, 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 and what we project and who people think we are the same way that we did when we were a teenager, even if, it, even if we're way, way, way better at hiding it than we once were. This is so easily done with social media. Our online image can be totally different from our offline one. With our Facebook statuses, our Instagram posts, our tweets, we can project how we want others to see us, not who we truly are. Uh, our posts can, can be shrouded in intellectualism or edginess or humility or humor. If we're honest, our real image is nowhere near as attractive as, as we want it to be, right? We want to be more beautiful, more successful, more creative, more virtuous, more popular, and more intelligent than we actually are, and so we try to make people see that we are. And even if we're completely detached from social media, even if you don't, even if you don't mess with any of that, even if it's way far beyond you, uh, I don't think you could tell me that you've never stretched, a, a stretched the truth or stretched a story to make it sound more appealing or make yourself sound more awesome. I don't think you could ever tell me that, that you've never talked one way around a certain group of people and a different way around another in order to be accepted. We all have an image problem, every single one of us. Do you feel it, grown up? Do you feel it? That deep fear inside of you that somehow, someday, like, you're going to be found out. <laughs> one day the, the closet's going to come open, the skeletons are going to fall out, and everyone's going to realize who you really are deep down inside. You're going to get caught deep down inside. You're going to get caught, and everyone's going to be like, oh, I knew they were just barely holding it together. Like, that's a deep-seated fear that I just seem to encounter with a lot of adults, that someday everyone's going to figure it out, that, we're, that we've been faking it all along, but we had no idea what we were doing. It's kind of funny because it, it, it seems very similar to how teenagers treat the world and treat their reputation. And, and, and this is the thing for me. The problem is that we, we it's, not, it's not that we lack beauty, okay? It's not that we lack beauty, it's not that we lack this image that we want. It's not that we lack beauty, success, creativity, holiness, popularity, or intelligence. The problem is that we believe the lie that says that obtaining those things will make us whole. The problem isn't that we lack those things. In fact, people probably think of us a lot less than we actually think that they do. The problem is that we believe that obtaining those things will make us happy, it will make us whole, it will make us who we want to be. And that's just not true. It's a lie. The problem is we believe the lie that says that obtaining those things will make us whole. Believing the lie, we fight rigorously to obtain or retain our images of choice. We fight with whatever it takes. We'll, we'll fight with money, with time. We'll make sacrifices. We'll overwork and we'll even lie to ourselves and to others. All to project this image of ourselves that we want people to see. This is carefully crafted, molded image of ourselves that we want others to see. I am full of blank. I am successful. I am awesome. I am funny. I am a, a great parent. I am a hard worker. I am creative. I am humble. I am confident. I am wealthy. I am happy. I am godly. Fill in the blank. This is just as much a reality within the walls of this building as it is outside of them. Maybe even more so. I, I don't think it's a revolutionary idea to you for me to suggest that the church sometimes has a problem with being genuine. Is that, is that a revolutionary idea to anyone? Oh, there's, people are disingenuine in the church? What? People put on a face for the church? I never would have thought of that. No, I don't think that's, I don't think that's the case. I believe that, that we all know uh, good and well that that's the case in, in the walls of the church, especially of the American church. 
And it's crazy because if there's one place that the believer should feel safe to be exactly who they are, warts and all, as Scott likes to say, shouldn't it be here, right? If there's one place we should be able to, to be exactly who we are, warts and all, I feel like it should be in our church family. Man, if there's one place we should be able to confess, to find healing, to grow, to change, to grieve, to struggle, to be real, shouldn't that place be right here? Whether it's in our church or in our home group, just in the life of the church in general, shouldn't that place be the church? Especially for the believer. Especially for the believer. It breaks my heart that, that so many of us, including myself, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking myself out of the equation here, it breaks my heart that so many of us are still wallowing in the shame and the guilt and the fear that the rest of the world wallows in. And we're called to something so much greater than that. They, they, they trace it back to about the 50s or 60s when America really, really started to care about its image. It was right on the, the advent of television. I actually was, I was reading a study online a couple weeks ago that was kind of measuring the attractiveness of which presidents had won uh, the election since the advent of television. And it was always kind of the ones that were the most traditionally attractive, uh, for the most part, not always, but for the most part. And it's, it's mostly because we're most well-spoken or the most charming. And it's, it's mostly because we have televised debates now. And so we even choose our presidents based on their image. Uh, and people, uh, we think that people choose us based on our image. Uh, when, when, when we turn on a box every single morning that shows us beautiful people doing crazy things, we think, gosh, man, I, that's got to be me. If I want to make a difference, if I want to do something uh, that's going to be long-lasting, if I want to make an impact, that has to be me. I've got to look like that. I've got to be that successful. I've got to live like this. And yet, like, that's the thing that I hear as criticized teenagers for more than anything else. And yet I, I see just as much in the world of adults. I experience it just as much in the world of adults. We have an image problem. We all, all have a deep image problem. My hope today is that together we can understand three truths about our images and reject the lives of the enemy. Uh, usually my sermons are about two hours long. I have 17 points today. It's, it's going to have three. So you can have here on top, I promise. Um, but I want to look at three truths today about uh, our images reject the lies of what the enemy says uh, we are. So, um, all right, let's dive into truth number one. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 28, my translation that I'm using is going to look different from the one on the screen. And that's okay, all right? It's fine. You guys can use the elect standard version if you'd like. I am using the NIV just because it's what I was studying from this week. So, um, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 to 28, um, it says, in verse 27, for as many of you, uh, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Love that passage. And Ephesians chapter four, verse two through six, I'm going to go ahead and dive into as well. Verse two: Be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's actually our theme passage for our students this semester, or this year, I guess. That's our theme passage for our students uh, for this school year. Uh, and I love that passage, how, it's, how it has the word one is used over and over and over and over. Uh, there's one body, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all. All right, truth number one. Truth number one is, who we are is not as important as whose we are. Who we are is not as important as whose we are. 
person that we think we are, the person that we want to project, is not as important as the person uh, that we belong to. It can be so tempting to focus on things that separate us rather than the things that we have in common. What if our attitude, guys, what if our attitude looks like, uh, you know, more often than not, I hear this. I'll just say this. More often than not, I hear this from people that say, oh, you know, that person we just don't belong with, we have nothing in common. Or our personalities clash. Or we just can't seem to get along. Or, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What if our attitude looked more like Paul, what Paul was saying in Galatians 3? What if, well, our, our personalities don't, don't uh, mesh, became, well, at least we have Christ in common. At least we're both Christians. At least we both love Jesus. What if uh, I, I just can't get along with that person, became, you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to get along with that person because we both love Jesus. And there's something bigger than who I am. It's whose I am. I love this idea in Scripture where, where when Jesus talks about all the, things, all the ways that believers should treat each other, um, and how, I love when Paul talks about that as well, about, about hospitality. It's like if a, if a believer needs a place to stay, you open your doors. If somebody needs a meal, you feed them. If anybody needs anything, you sell what you have and you give to them. I think that's an incredible concept that is lost in an individualistic society like the United States of America. I believe it is lost in our culture. But here Paul says, whose you are is more important and who you are. Yeah. And, I, and I know that in Miss Gurgle Schmitz's third grade Sunday school class, she told you that you were a beautiful and unique snowflake with, <laughs> with your own specific giftings, and, and she told you all about like the body of Christ and how some people are arms, and some people are mouths, and some people are rear ends, and some people are whatever. She told you all about these different things. Um, but uh, the thing is, we're all still part of the same body, and I, and I don't want to take away from that. I don't want to say no. Yeah, your gifting doesn't matter. I don't want to say, yeah, your individuality doesn't matter. But more importantly than that is whose you are. More importantly than that is whose you are. Can you imagine the possibilities when being a believer means what we have in common is so significant that the multitudes of ways that we're different might as well not even exist? Can you imagine what the kingdom could get done? Could you imagine the way that the world could change? Not in a way where we're frantically scrambling to get people to accept us, uh, because we, we just have to convince everyone that we matter as much as they do. Don't say that you matter. I matter as much as you do. Uh, not, not in the way where we have to stand up and say, oh, but what about me? What about me? I've got my thing. I'm unique this way. I'm a beautiful gifted snowflake. Not in that way where we have to raise our hands and, and, and say, what about me? But in a way where we're able to instead say, hey, you matter to me. You matter to me because I matter to Jesus. I don't need somebody to tell me that I that I don't need somebody to tell me that that, 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 I, that I need this I need this I need this and I'm valuable because Jesus already says you're valuable and that's enough for me and so instead I can tell you that you're valuable because I know it's true for me. Man, how would our churches look different? How would our culture look different? I think there's value in our unique giftings and backgrounds, but more important than that is our shared background as children in the family of God. And no matter what someone else looks like, no matter what sin they struggle with, no matter how rich or educated they are, how old they are, how young they are, being part of the family of God is more valuable than that. Who we are is not as important as whose we are. I'll describe to you guys what I looked like as a teenager and how Mitzi was terrified of me in school, but, but how do you think my family at home saw me? Do you think I walked through the door from school and they were just like, oh man, there's Jordan. He's a, rough, he's a rough character, man. You don't want to mess with that guy. You think that's what my parents thought? No, absolutely not. They, they thought I was ridiculous. They looked at me and they said, he said, oh man, someday he's going to... Like, I remember my dad saying the kind of thing to me. Someday I'm going to show you pictures of this, the way you look right now, and you're just going to laugh, and I'm going to laugh harder. 
And, uh, and it, just, it just cracks me up because, like, you know, I, expect, I, I put on this face. I put on this, this identity. I put on this image for everybody else at my school or at the concert I went to or the parties I hung out at. But when I got home, none of that mattered. When I came home, none of that mattered. When I was with my family, they, they weren't afraid of me because they, they knew me. They knew me. There was no need to put on a show. Those people knew exactly who I was, down to my core, warts and all. And they loved me no matter what color my hair was or how tight my jeans were or what music I was into that week. They loved me because they knew who Jordan was. How freeing is that? To say, I don't need to be accepted for who I am because who I am is loved by God. What if the church could look like that? When you come through these doors, you're loved no matter what because you are known. It's known that you are part of the family of God. And that's more important. Truth two, what makes us different inside should make us different outside. What makes us different inside should make us different outside. Um, let's go to James chapter 1, verse 22, and I'm going to read down to 25. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in all that they do. Love this passage. Um, this one's easy so, not, easy, so I'm not going to spend as much time on it as I did the, my first truth. But, but I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. If you feel the need to put on a mask, okay? Why is that? If you feel the need to put on a mask, why is that? Is, is it out of shame? Is it out of guilt? You need to understand that, that, that you've been made new. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a baptized believer. In Jesus Christ, you have been made new. So live new. Live differently. If you've been made new, if you've been accepted into this family, then live like it. Live like it. There's freedom in that. It's just so funny to me that we can care so much about our images, and yet here James says that, 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 the more, that, that more often than not, we are like people that walk up to a mirror in the bathroom, just like I was saying earlier. We see we got a big old snot booger hanging out of our nose, and we just leave it hanging. For everybody to see, right? There's been times where I've, I've come on stage and like to make announcements or whatever, and then after afterwards, my wife's just like, "You have so much donut all in your beard, and you didn't even you didn't even check." Or I remember this hasn't happened for years, but one time where I preached a whole sermon on a Sunday morning with my fly on done was just the worst moment of my life. Uh, and and uh, and it's like it's like I should have checked for these things before I thought about going on stage in front of hundreds of people, but I just didn't because you know I was whatever. Uh, and, and the thing that's funny to me is, like, what if I went to the bathroom anyway, saw that I had donut all over my beard, or, you know, snot hanging out of my nose or whatever, and I was just like, yep, looks good, and I just walked back, and or I said, oh, I need to fix that, and I walked away and said, what was the thing I need to fix again? Eh, it's probably fine. And then I walked up on stage, you'd be like, what are you doing? Take care of yourself, nasty. Uh, and and it's, that's, that's exactly what James is saying in James chapter 1. He's saying, uh, if you are somebody that, that he, said, he said, don't listen to the word to deceive yourselves. If, you're, if you go and look at the word, if you come here on a Sunday and you hear a sermon that convicts you, if you read your Bible and you read a passage that tells you to do something and you're like, i got to do that, and then you don't do it, how ridiculous is that? Especially when you've been changed, especially when there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, especially when there's no shame or guilt remaining for you. Why, why, why don't we live like we're free? Why do we still live like we're bound to the same things that bound us before? If we see something we don't like about who we are, we should offer that up to Jesus. We should take steps to change it. We don't, we don't cover it up. We don't hide it. We don't wallow in shame and guilt about it. We address it 
Jesus has already taken care of it, and that means we can be obedient to him and live in freedom without condemnation. And don't mishear me either this morning. I'm, 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 I want to make sure I say this. I am less concerned with what you are wearing than anything else. All right? I don't care if you walked in here in a full three-piece suit. I don't care if you walked in here in a t-shirt and shorts. That is not my focus this morning. Uh, dressing, up on the out, dressing up the outside can be of some value, but when we start dressing up what's on the inside, that's where the problem lies. When we start dressing up what's going on in our hearts and our minds, that's where the problem is. And I know this is true, man. I, we live in a church. A church culture, a place where we come every single week and people say, Well, hey, how are you? And we say, Man, I'm terrific. Meanwhile, like, you know, our whole, the whole week our life has just been falling apart. And, uh, you know, we were cussing out the kids on the way here. And then we stepped out of the van. We walked in, like, How do you do, everyone? Like, just like, like everything had been perfect since day one in our lives. And we, like, is that really the way that the church should be? Because that's how I feel like I have to live the rest of my week. Why should that be the case here? Why should that be the case in the one place where everyone else is willing to admit that they are just as broken as I am? Truth three. Truth three. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 through 10. You want to turn to this one because it's I love this passage. Love, love, love this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 6 through 10. Once again, you can follow along on the screen, but my translation will be a little different than what you guys have there. Verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But if I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of, of uh, these surpassing revelations. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul says, if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. He says, listen, I don't know if you know this, but I'm Paul. <laughs> it's like, like I, you know, like, like the most well-known missionary of all time. Like, like I'm a role model for the rest of the church. I'm, I'm one of the capital A apostles. Like, I'm Paul. And so if I chose to boast... If I chose to say that I was awesome, it would be well-founded. It would be warranted. I would not be lying. It would be true. And yet still, I choose not to. I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Truth three is, our weaknesses are Christ's strength. Our weaknesses are Jesus' strength. I love that Paul says, it's like, like, Paul, don't forget, this is Paul, okay? You are not Paul. I am not Paul. And he's still able to say this. If anyone on this planet was ever qualified to boast about the accomplishments of following Jesus, it would be Paul. And yet Paul says right here, he says, I'm not going to boast about it because I have a lot of weakness. In fact, God gave me a specific weakness, and I asked him to take it away, and he won't. Because he wants to keep me humble. He says, you need to understand that my grace is sufficient for you. That I make up for what you lack. You need to get that. And maybe some of us here today can relate to that. Like, maybe there is a, I don't know, like a, a mental illness that you struggle with. Maybe there is a certain sin that you struggle with. Maybe there is a situation that happened in your life that was just awful. And if you had to take it back, you would never relive that. But you're glad that God pulled you through it because it keeps you leaning on him. 
That's what Paul's saying. We don't know what Paul, what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. We don't know if it was a physical ailment, a mental ailment. We don't know if it was a certain struggle of his. What exactly it was, but we know that God put it there for a reason. God put it there so that Paul would have to lean on him and say, your grace is sufficient for me. Your power is made perfect in my weakness. And what if more of us said that? Instead of, look at all my accomplishments. Look at what I've done. We said, my weakness is Jesus' strength. Social media has been specifically on my mind uh, like it always is, way too much. And uh, I work with teenagers, so it's how it goes. Um, and and, and uh, there's this, there's this, this thing that, that kind of Mitzi brought to my attention that I'd never even noticed because I'm not a mom or a dad. Uh, and I've never noticed before. She brought to my attention that, that so many parents in our culture use social media as a way, like, like, like they use their kids, right, on social media as a way to bring more glory to themselves, which is crazy. I never even thought of this. And she said, oh, it just drives me crazy. Like when I see, when I see like, like all these posts that say, like, look at how awesome my kid is. So it's like a way for us to, to point to our kids. But in reality, we're pointing to ourselves, the things that we've done. The, the way that they got there was through us. And uh, I, I know someone, uh, and they're on this church, so you don't have to worry. I know somebody who has uh, tens of thousands of followers on Instagram. And uh, she's somebody very close to me. And she, she posts photos with her child that you can tell she spent hours on just so that she'll get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of likes and responses and followers from these posts of her child. And, and like, it, it kind of drives me nuts. Because instead of saying, like, you know what? Like, instead of out of humility, like, like saying, you know what? Uh, I love my kid, but I'm not, I'm not a perfect parent either. Instead, this person feels unapproachable. Because everything they do in their life is for their kid, but actually it's for them. And I think this is a way that, just one of the ways in our culture that, uh, that we uh, can, can use things that, that, that are seemingly good uh, for evil. We're really good at finding ways to do that. I feel like this scripture is an incredible moment of vulnerability for Paul, which is one of the reasons I love it. I love when writers of the Bible are able to get vulnerable and just be real people. It's one of the reasons I love Jeremiah, even though he's a depressing dude. I just love that Jeremiah gets real about how he feels and what he's experiencing so often. Here's a moment of vulnerability for Paul. Here he is, the man who is arguably the greatest missionary of all time. This man who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. This man who's an example to millions upon billions upon billions of people. And here he is saying, I am super, super weak. That is awesome. <laughs> and I know it sounds kind of crazy, but, but this is what Tim Keller means when he uses the term kingdom economics. Kingdom economics. And maybe it's not his term. I you may have stolen it from somebody. I'm still from him right now, so who knows um, but he uses this term kingdom economics because well, what it means is that what constitutes power, wealth, and success in the kingdom of God is not what constitutes it in the world. What constitutes power, wealth, and success in the kingdom of God is not what constitutes it in the world. Meekness and lowliness, these are things that we value in the kingdom of God. Meekness and lowliness. Humility. Humility. I remember um, I, I had a friend and she, when she became a Christian, she started keeping a journal. And years later, she showed me her journal, and it was, uh, it was from when she first became a Christian. She heard the term humility. And she said, is that the same root word as humiliation? That's crazy. Why would I want to be humiliated? And, I said, you know, and we were talking about it, and she said, I didn't understand it then, but I get it now. The kingdom of God is upside down. What's valuable in the kingdom of God is not what's valuable in the world. So why do we keep striving to show the world how valuable we are, how valuable we are by their standards? Humility over swagger and pride, that is kingdom economics. It's the world flipped upside down. And what takes more strength, guys? Putting weakness on display or hiding it? 
And it's not our strength that makes that possible. It's, 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 it's the strength of God. It's God's strength. What if we had this attitude? What if instead of dressing up our mess, we could be genuine about it? What if instead of dressing up our mess, we could be genuine about it? What if instead of giving the safe prayer request that we know is socially acceptable, we give the one that puts our reputation on the line or shows what's really happening behind closed doors in our family? What if instead of confessing our sins that everyone can relate to, we confess the big ones at the very root of our brokenness, the ones that are taboo, the ones that might get us gossiped about? What if instead of serving where it's easiest for us or where we feel gifted, we serve where it's better for everyone else, the place that allows other people to serve with their gifts better. That is the example that Paul is laying out for us. Paul says, God gave me something, we don't know what it is, that makes my life and my work so much harder, and no matter how much I've prayed he, that he takes it away, he won't. But I'm glad he has it, because it means that I have to lean against him that much harder. What places in your life can you, can you look at others, can others look at you, rather, and say, wow, only God could do that. What places in your life can others look at you and say, wow, like only God can make that happen. Only God can take care of that mess. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but that's what we're called to. And it's a freeing experience. Day in and day out, I find myself, I find myself more concerned with making sure others know how qualified I am rather than proclaiming how God makes up for my disqualifications, my multitude of disqualifications. You've got a lot of weaknesses, that's great. God has a lot of strength for their weakness. You failed a thousand times? Awesome. God has succeeded a million more. You're not gifted? That's perfect, because our God is the giver of gifts. Christian, stop worrying about what you can't do and ask what God can do. Stop fearing the unknown when you were sent by the God that knows everything. Stop seeking approval from those who are broken when you are already approved by a God who is perfect. Who others think you are is not as important to you. You were given different strengths so you could make a difference. And your weaknesses are just more opportunity for Jesus' strength. Remove your mask. Remove your mask, Christian. Everybody will see Jesus. That's right. Father God, I thank you for our church once again. Uh, I thank you for a place where more often than not I, I do feel safe to share in our real struggles, to share in my real weakness. But God, you want to take us even further than that. You want to make us into a family where we can support and love each other in spite of the ways that we are still broken. Where we can be open about the things that we're experiencing, the pain that we're going through. Where we can find real healing in Jesus Christ. God, I pray that whatever is keeping us from that vulnerability, whatever is keeping us from being genuine, you would, you would calm those fears and those concerns. If we refuse to join a home group because we're afraid of what, what opening up might bring out, God, ease those fears. If we're afraid of finding accountability because we're afraid of the news getting out about what we struggle with, God, ease that, those fears. God, if, we're, if we're afraid of, of, of admitting our wrongs and admitting that we don't have everything together because we've worked really hard to make people think that we do, God, ease those fears. Everything that we're fearful of this morning, everything that keeps us from being vulnerable with each other and it affects you as well. Just pray you to remove that. This world needs to see Jesus Christ and the more masks that we put on, the harder that gets to see. And so God, remove our masks. 
Make us vulnerable. Make us genuine this morning. It's in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.